Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Now, there's not a cricket fan alive who doesn't know the name John G. Rhodes. South Africa's return to the international sporting arena coincided with his arrival into sporting stardom. Now, of course, while cricketers are usually judged on batting or bowling, John T. made a name for himself in the field. No one will ever forget that run out of Inzamam Luck. And then from there, he just went from strength to strength. And uh, very privileged to have him on the line all the way from where you now, John T.? I am in the far western region of Nepal, Derek. It's called Dangadi. Dangadi is the town, and uh, it's actually it's very close, about four kilometers from the, the Indian border, and about 200 kilometers from the Chinese border. But that doesn't, the Chinese border is not really an option for me right now because it does involve uh, scaling the Himalayas. So I think if I had to run, I'd run for India. Now, that being said, though, I mean, you're an adventure man through and through. Huh? I mean, if anyone that follows you on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, they'll know that you're always out and about in far-flung places. So uh, the Himalayas surely isn't too much of a challenge. I mean, if you can take five catches against the West Indies and ODI, the Himalayas is small fry. Yeah, 100% small fry, but uh, I was doing that alone. I've actually, in the last two months, spent more time in Nepal than I have in South Africa. Fortunately, three weeks ago, my wife and I, we had our two babies, India and Nathan, who are three and a half and one and a half. We had them climbing up mountains um, in the Annapurna region, which is an incredible part of Nepal, the section of the Himalayas. And fortunately, you get a porter. You're allowed 20 kilograms. The porter will take your luggage for you if it's under 20 kg. So India, fortunately, didn't tip the scales anything higher than about 15, and Nathan's about 11 kg. So we got somebody to carry our children in a basket. Well, for five days, we walked up and down the most incredible scenery. And, um, yes, I, I have fond memories just because I was able to get um, some porch to carry our children. You do live what you enjoy doing. I mean, everyone spoke about the fact that uh, get a job that you love and, and you'll never need to work another day for the rest of your life. And I think you, you are living that through and through. Yeah, Derek, I think the key for me is that the first time I toured India was back in 1993 during that, that Hero Cup. We spoke about the West Indies match. And for a long time, South Africans would tour the subcontinent with trepidation. I mean, we used to hate playing at spin bowling in India, reverse swing in Pakistan, because we were really unfamiliar with the conditions. And I think for, for quite a few years, we, we made all sorts of excuses. We focused on the negative. And I still remember in... You know, when, when the guys started doing well, it was a case of, okay, let's focus on what we can control. And as a cricket player now, I've worked with the IPL team for nine seasons, and the players hardly leave the hotel other than going to the ground in the stadium. Where I've made it a mission to ride a motorbike. I ride a locally made a Royal Enfield motorbike, which is manufactured in Chennai, and it kind of was first um, sold to the Indian Army, so it's good for all terrains, which is perfect for a lot of the Indian infrastructure. And I get out as much as possible to discover parts of India that no other players or coaches get to see. So, in fact, a lot of the Indians that I encounter just say, wow, we haven't been to half the places. So from snowboarding in Kashmir to houseboating in Kerala, um, you know, I, I try and see as much as possible of India. Because I think as a player, we just missed out so much of experiencing such diverse culture. 
um, by hiding in the in the hotel just to rest and recover, and then obviously playing cricket at the stadium, and then flying over a country in an aeroplane. So it was so good to be up close and personal with interesting people in fantastic environments. Yeah, it is a magnificent country, and, and the people, as you say, are so warm, they're so inviting, they're so accommodating, and of course, they live, breathe, eat cricket. Uh, people talk about countries where a sport is religion. We mention the likes of New Zealand and Wales when it comes to rugby. Uh, we like to think of South Africa as a rugby-loving public, but I've never been in a country where everything hinges on how their sporting team does as it applies to India and cricket. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, I was in India with the Proteus side and I was covering them. And I was in Nagpur, not the prettiest of cities. And we came back to our tell after, after a night out. And I was with a friend of mine, Patrick. He is a cameraman for Supersport. And we got back to our tell. I wanted to, to, to let the night last as long as possible. So we went looking for a pub. And the only place we could find was underneath the hotel was an actual wedding. They're throwing a wedding. So we arrived there. Now, we were staying in the same hotel as the Proteus. So we got inside, and the wedding, they basically came to a standstill. And, I mean, as we know, Indian weddings are massive, lavish affairs. And about 200 people absolutely went dead still. The band stopped playing. We saw these two guys walk in, myself and Patrick. First guy ran up to me, and he said, South Africa? And I said, yes. I mean, of course, meaning South Africa, the country. He was meaning South Africa, the cricket team. So I wasn't necessarily lying and they lined up the entire wedding party from the groom and the bride right to the end and we had to shake everyone's hand and they they put a a massive party for us afterwards i still have millions of photos and i reckon i'm still on on the walls of uh, the walls of bedrooms of uh, many children over there but uh, oh man what a what a country but but johnty i mean okay so you've spoken about india but but what are you doing in nepal well i spent november i i've been asked early on in, in 2018 to, if I could find time to come and, and help out with one of the academies in Kathmandu. Um, you know, in Nepal, actually, they've, they've been a, a, soccer, a football and a volleyball sort of crazy country for a long time, despite their proximity to India. I mean, they do border India for, I think, about two-thirds of their border is surrounded by, by India. Um, it was across from India. And they've, they've just taken to cricket, and, and, and one of their, their young players has done well in the I, this last IPL and now doing pretty well in, in the Big Bash in Australia. So cricket has started to take off, but just lack of infrastructure is, is difficult. Kathmandu is in the valley. It's, it's a very hilly, as you can imagine, a very hilly area, and the flat land has basically taken up our people in residential areas. So they don't have many sporting facilities in schools or clubs. So most of the players just practice, and they practice indoors. There's only one complete stadium in the whole of Kathmandu for, for international cricket. So I've been asked to come across, if I could spare 10 days to two weeks. And uh, what we tried to do, we actually worked pretty hard with the under-19 team. So it was, it was coming across for an academy of 20 players in November. And then the, we, I just said, okay, it's fine. I'm here for two weeks. Please, if there are any under-19 players who are keen to come down, even national players, send them down. And we had a really enjoyable two weeks, myself and Ryan Marin, who's got cricket school of excellence in Cape Town. And I've seen him work with Afghanistan as a fielding coach, West Indies as a fielding coach. He's got great energy. And uh, he, he kind of does everything in cricket coaching from his birthday parties to school curricular sport, you know, um, sport curriculum at, at schools. So he's, he's a guy with a great deal of experience. And, 
And we were then asked to come back and, and become a part of a team in this league. So, the, unfortunately, the, the National Association of Cricket here in Nepal has been disbanded by the uh, by the ICC. And each, basically, each town, each city has its own Premier League. So it's not like an IPL or the Nancy League in South Africa, um, which is run by the, 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 the cricket board. Each town has a, an, an owner of a league and, and the same sort of, I suppose, 70 players or 80 players just rotate through the different leagues. So I was asked to come and help coaches along the side. And what I loved about the team that we involved with is that the town that it's kind of named after, it's, it's almost like crowdfunding because they don't have one corporate house that owns a team like or one big, or two, three, two or three big owners as you do in the IPL. There's a whole bunch of friends who just clubbed in their money to, to be able to afford and put the team together. So that really made, for me, it kind of touched my heart because, you know, you obviously work, I've worked at the IPL in a billion dollar industry. Uh, it's, it's always refreshing to go back to your roots. I mean, I played cricket because I loved it. Um, in the isolation days, there was no international sport and it was just something, a game that I really loved to play. So it's great to be involved in an environment where everybody's pretty much on that same level. Sure, they get, they get a few rupees for playing. Um, but they are playing it because they're passionate and they have a dream. So, you know, just if you can create some little spark or help them out and a few pointers and, and set them on the right direction, it's a great environment. If you're passionate about cricket and you want to give back to the game, it's a great environment to be. John, you say you, you played cricket because you loved it. Uh, the start, I mean, you're but a teenager when you started your international career, that 1992 Cricket World Cup down under. And at uh, the end of your career, you, you, you missed out on the T20 game from a playing perspective, but you managed to segue perfectly into a coaching aspect. And we speak about guns for hire when we talk about players doing the international circuit in the T20 tournaments. And, I mean, you've certainly cemented yourself as a fielding coach of note. I mean, given your background from fielding, it, it's obvious. But, I mean, you, you certainly have made a perfect example of someone who's able to transition from playing to coaching and doing it on a massively successful scale. Well, Derek, I think fortunately there is there's no you know in the I suppose in the level one, two, and three that you do to get your coaching certificate, there's not a great deal about fielding. I mean, it's obviously basic stuff, but I've just found that fielding coaching requires high intensity because I'm expecting the same back from the players. So fortunately for me, even though I retired in 2003, I still I still stayed fairly active and. I then worked with the South African cricket team in the build up to the 2007 World Cup. So I only had just over sort of 15 months of, of limited over cricket with the South African with the Proteus in that build up, having retired for, for three years. So, you know, and then from there it became, it, I got involved with the IPL. So it, it was a, I was a banker. I was working for Standard Bank for three years, you know, so I kind of got hauled out of retirement and uh, got back into cricket. I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing about this game that we love, but it actually never lets you go away. <laughs> Even if you think you've walked away, it, it kind of drags you back in. So fielding coaching, fortunately, was more about me being able to show people. And I think if I'd waited 10 or 15 years and I couldn't move so well anymore, it might have been a bit more difficult to make that transition. But because it was almost you know, just two or three years after my retirement and I was still in fairly good shape and fairly fit, and a lot of the, obviously, the South African guys that I was working with had all been my teammates um, when I retired. They were still, obviously, in the national setup. So it's quite easy not to have to go and explain to anybody what I was trying to teach because I must confess, as a, as a fielder, 
I was never coached. There was a combination of cricket, obviously, and then hockey is a um, soccer and, and tennis. So all those sports that I played as a youngster kind of molded me as a fielder. And to coach people, it was, it was quite difficult to sit down, I must confess, the first time and kind of try and explain why I was doing things. Because it always had just been me being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. It's very much that visibly that, that run out of Inzerman. I mean, it was the craziest thing to do. I should have thrown the ball. Um, and then life might have been slightly different. <laughs> or I might have missed the stunts, you know. So there was no manual in those days. And it was just a case of, okay, guys, this is what worked for me. Let's see if we can get you to be the best fielder. So you don't have to be John T. Rhodes or Amy Villiers or you just got to be the best field that you can be. And, and that's, you know, fortunately, there wasn't much on the, in the market in those days. And pretty much, Derek, I must say, being, me being the number one fielder for a long time, there was no number two or number three. Nobody else was fielding. I thought I was crazy. <laughs> Very easy to be the number one fielder in the world when it's, it's like a pool of one. <laughs> Johnny, talk us through that 1992 World Cup. I mean, now youngsters uh, around this time, they think playing in, in international tournaments uh, all over the world, uh, it's old hat. Of course, South Africa completely new, not just to the international uh, in a cricket arena, but uh, the sporting arena as well. It was the first tournament that we had partaken in um, in 1992 after many, many years uh, in isolation. I mean, going over there as a youngster, what did you expect? And did you realize the occasion? No, not at all. And, and that's, that really is the honest truth because I, I expected to go to the World Cup uh, and, and maybe be top man in most of the games and, and possibly in one game, maybe against Sri Lanka, who were considered the sort of weakest opposition there, who ended up beating us, um, or maybe Zimbabwe. And I really thought I would go there and be the top man and, because I'd been kind of picked because I was fit and I could run around and I was a decent fielder. So every time when I got to play the first game against Australia, and they were the host nations and the defending champions at the SCG where it takes about 40,000 people compared to we've been playing Benton Hedges Limited Owners Cricket in South Africa domestically where you'd get maybe 7,000 people down at Kingsmead or 12,000 at the Wanderers. So it was a massive, massive stadium or stage, international stage. I think two things that, that helped us. Firstly was that um, there was no expectation on the South African team. There really wasn't. We were brand new. No one knew anything about us. So there was no expectation. And secondly, because nobody knew anything about us, they couldn't really plan against us. So I think from that aspect, being the, the new kids on the block certainly helped us in, in that way. Um, but every day was a very steep learning curve. I mean, every game we played, we were learning something. Because we had guys who had gone to India in that September of 91. We played three one-day internationals against India. And that was the sum total of our international experience, bar Kepler vessels who had played for Australia. So the rest of us, we were on a very steep learning curve, which, sure, it, it, uh, it made things a bit tough because we were kind of learning, seeing stuff for the first time. But it also gave us a, a slight advantage in that no one expected a great deal from us. They were just happy that we were back playing. And also, none of the opposition had seen much of us on an international stage. It was my first introduction to sport of any kind, really. I, I didn't really pay much attention. I think at the time, I was around eight or nine years old. And then South Africa descended down on uh, down under. And that's where, obviously, we, we took on all comers in the World Cup, making it to the semifinals. And I'll never forget the hype surrounding it as each match went on. And there were those coins. Do you remember those coins that were released? Uh, little books yeah, where you collected yeah. those coins, yeah. the players. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a, 
show. Yeah, man, they were magnificent. It was yourself, of course. You're you're sprouting that uh, that step haircut, which became very popular uh, after the tournament. Nasty, nasty. <laughs> yes. And and then we had the jaunty pants straight after the tournament. But uh, you mentioned the run out, and I mean, very few sportsmen can speak about an iconic moment in their careers, in their lifetimes, where which put them onto another stratosphere. I mean, there's no denying that you're a talented fielder, batsman, um, a cricketer in general. But, I mean, that run-out, man, that did wonders for you. Yeah, it, it, it did boost my career. And people keep asking me about it. You know, do, do I send things among an annual retainer or, I mean, a monthly <laughs> retainer, just a small thank you for, for helping sort of launch my career? But it, I really had gone there with no expectation or very little expectation of playing many of the games. Uh, you know, so... So from that point of view, it certainly made people, and, and surprisingly, because people always say, oh, I knew he would do something, he was a good fielder for the fell. And Mike Proctor, I always remember one of the interviews, Mike Proctor saying, before the tournament, that Jonky's going to do something amazing in the field. But I, I was assuming he was talking about a catch or a, you know, not diving into the wickets like a fool. And so it, 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 was, it was an aspect of my game that I was renowned for. And, and I think the strangest thing for me was I was quite surprised by all the fights because this was something I have two brothers. You know, we, we grew up in Hilton and I do a lot of work in India. When you see green grass, you're never convinced that it's actually, you know, grass. It's not soft underneath, it's rock hard. And in South Africa, as kids, you grow up sliding, diving around, and that's a, a part of our sporting culture. Whereas, you know, I was quite surprised by the fights that people were making by what I had done. I think it was a great photograph. And and that's it was more than the interim. I think the photographer literally launched my career. I think a, a lot of people don't realize, and I mean, we, we we've seen obviously what's happened, and it's very very sad in hindsight. But of course, you and Hansi Kronier were very very good friends. And if if I'm not mistaken, you opened the batting with him um, at SA Schools. And I remember a story that you told when. You didn't. You couldn't speak a word of Afrikaans, and he came over to you, and you said something like "Kutkaspiel," something along those lines. Well, unfortunately, yes, yeah, it's a family program. I'm assuming your podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to be going back. Um, I, I did. I was, you know, um, Peter Marisberg. It's the last outpost. Um, I was at Durban, one of those two places that I grew up and spent most of my my cricket playing days. But Hansi and I had played against each other from from age thirteen, where. We were at was the then the term week, the under thirteen term week. And I was the only kid in South Africa at that stage. I remember Hunty chatting saying, Yeah, he'd been told to watch this guy with the white helmet. I had a, a mild form of epilepsy and as a as a child I got concussed very easily. So you know, to keep my mother happy, I said, Okay, I'll get a helmet, a cricket helmet, but which the sports shop, King Sports and Peter Maritzburg, had to source from the UK because they didn't sell them. I mean Peter Kirsten, Jimmy Cook, they were playing almost against the West Indies, that Rebel Tour that came out with Sylvester Clark. They were playing those guys with caps on, not even helmets. So, you know, I was one of the first players or kids, definitely one of the first children in South Africa to have to back with a helmet. And Hunty had been told, go look at this John C. Rose guy. I think, who did he? And he's a kid with a white helmet. So, yeah, my time with Hunty does go a long way back. We had um, obviously some happy and some sad moments. Um, throughout our careers and the way that it ended. But, you know, somebody who, when I was dropped for two years from the test side, was really supportive because for, for two years between 1996 and 1998, I wasn't included in, in the test team, but would kind of go on a tour because I was never there for the one-day series. 
But any series in South Africa, uh, I was never really included in the, in the test because uh, you could get a local player to be the club man. And, and Hunty would phone me on a daily and, and a weekly basis to say, hang in there, keep going, keep scoring runs, you know, you'll be back in the setup and we're right behind you. So, yeah, we had a, we had a, a fantastic time as, as friends growing up, very competitive against each other, of course, and very competitive in the fitness. I hate to, I hate to tell you and confess now that he was actually the fittest guy in the team. I always thought it would be me for a long time being a hockey player, but Hunty took the cake, I'm afraid. Uh, and there's actually a, a cover. I was, um, I popped into a bookshop yesterday, and I found an old Cricket Zone magazine from 1995, and it was amazing. Hansi Cronier was actually on the cover, and uh, I was just paging through it, yeah. and it was amazing. It, they spoke about the Plascon Cricket Academy in 1995, and yeah. they're looking at the 25 up and coming players, and of those 25. Eight went on to play international cricket in any shape or form, be it tests or, or ODIs. And um, you look at some of the names. You had the, the David de Bruggers, Peter Stratums, and there was one Jacques Cullis. So it's amazing to look back then. And, and they mentioned <laughs> hey, th- this guy's uh, an up-and-coming all-rounder. And funny enough, David de Brugger actually mentioned to me uh, today uh, saying that Jacques actually skipped the academy because once he was selected, they said, no, this guy's just too good. He's going to go straight up to the big leagues. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it's, it's obviously difficult to these days. I mean, there's, with all the T20 leagues, with academies, there's a lot of players getting opportunities to play. So for a guy like Jacques Callis to stand out at such an early age, I think just their testament to his incredible ability because, you know, not many guys had that opportunity. Whereas now with, with all the different tournaments and competitions and limited overs and first-class cricket, if you're a half-decent player, you can kind of put your hand up and, and give indication of your ability very early on. Whereas back then, if you are identified that early, then you certainly do have some serious ability. Well, on the subject of magazines, SA Cricket Magazine released a... Uh, uh, they asked a question yesterday on Twitter, um, a very depressing question, and I think you were involved in three of the four. They said, which was the the World Cup exit that hurt the most, and they identified 1992, 1999, 2003, and then the most recent one, uh, which was in 2015. Um, from your perspective, if I'm not mistaken, you were involved in three of those four. Which one hurt the most? And, and I think I probably know the answer. Yeah, well, fortunately, 2003, I'd, well, not fortunately, I'd, I'd broken my finger yeah. in the second game against Kenya. So I was actually out of the squad. I was watching on television and seeing the rain come down and, and what kind of unfolded. But in, in 1992, I mean, I have no regrets whatsoever. We, we lost 10 minutes because of rain, and, and that was it. You know, we were in such good shape with Brian Mack and, and David just in batting, leading, I think, 21 or 13. So when, when those sort of things happen, you've got no control over it. So obviously the, the, toughest, the toughest World Cup, Sort of um, not lost, and we didn't lose the game. It was a tied result against Australia in 1999, where I mean, Lance Kuzma had done everything. To, in fact, throughout that tournament, he was the, the player of the tournament. He had done everything in his power to get up over the line, and we we were one run short. And that's the crazy thing. People keep talking about the loss in the semi final. I said, hold on, guys, let's rewind that a little bit. We didn't lose the game. I mean, we lost on inferior run, your net run rate throughout the competition, but we actually tied with Australia uh, in that game. And it was Lance who almost single-handedly dragged us over the line. So it would have been 
you know, I think that that for me is probably the most disappointing exit of the World Cup that, that I've been involved in. Of course, it is a World Cup year. Have uh, you been able to catch much of the Proteus' recent ODI performances? And if so, how do you expect them to go in England? Derek, I think the only concern with regards to the, the current World Cup preparation is that, if anything, we have a few more questions than we have answers. If you consider the batting results or the, the batting department, you know, nothing has really been knuckled down. And, and the World Cup's not far away, so I don't know how many exactly how many matches there are still left, left to play. A lot of guys have been given opportunity to show what they can do, which is good. You need that. But you also need to know that the players know their role in the team. So it's one thing choosing the best 15 players for the squad. But you have to have players who've had an opportunity to settle into the environment. And, uh, you know, if they finish as an opening batsman, whatever they are from a batting point of view, they need to know their role and they've got to be confident that they can fulfill that. So... I think right now, more questions than answers with regards to the Cricket World Cup squad. Well, we'll leave it at that. John T, thanks as always. Enjoy your time in Nepal, in India, in the Himalayas, or wherever else in the world you find yourself. Hopefully, we'll catch up when you are eventually back in South Africa. Thank you, Derek. It's been way too long. Thank you for not forgetting me, for remembering who this old fart is. So good to talk to you, my friend. Cheers, my man. Chat soon. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media.